there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Hope the commute is going smoothly or you're enjoying your walk with your dog. Still, keep one hand free for a mug or a tumbler full of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Ben Wittes, the editor-in-chief of Lawfare, a blog he co-founded devoted to the discussion of U.S. national security choices. But I got to tell you, calling this a blog is like calling the New York Times a blog or BuzzFeed a news feed. You got to check it out. There are podcasts, book reviews, research papers, series, and also a potential interest to Java junkies. There's a job board. We're going to get into all that. But Ben is also a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution, which is a nonpartisan public policy think tank. And he is the author of several books and is co-chair of the Hoover Institution's working group on national security, technology and law. Ben, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am indeed. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So here we go. We're going to start throwing back some espresso shots. The first one, what entry-level jobs are available to Java junkies who are eager to break into the field of, wait for it, national security law and policy and blogging and maybe lawfare? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's a tricky question because one of the questions that underlies it is what is it really that we do? And some of our contributors are law professors and some of our contributors are former practicing or current practicing national security lawyers. And some of us are kind of journalists or, you know, I'm a think tank person, kind of a journalist. And so one of the questions is like, how do you construe what it is we do? Look, I think most people who get involved in lawfare or this kind of writing get involved from one of a few angles. One is they don't start as a sort of entry level in it. They come to it as a practicing lawyer. One group are sort of legal academics who come as a part of their professional writing. Then there are these two other groups that are sort of more entry level. We always have a group of student contributors who write for the site who are current law students, and we get them involved and try to publish them and, and really kind of get them involved in sort of some of the news and commentary and document evaluation functions that the site provides. And then we also have a group of people who mostly work out of Brooklyn who are recent college graduates, some of them between college and law school, some of them who are kind of thinking of it as more of an entry to journalism and or to analytic writing of one sort or another. So those are the sort of major gateways. Fantastic. What, in your opinion, Ben, is a useful skill or skills that you look for in the people that you hire at Lawfare? So there's two that are dominant over everything else. One is the ability to read law texts 
and have something interesting to say about them, to analyze them well. That tends to select for people who are either lawyers or going to be lawyers at some point, but I'm not one. And a bunch of our people are not lawyers. They're just the sort of people who know how to read a sonnet really well. And reading a sonnet well is very similar to reading a statute well. And so that's one set of skills. The other set of skills is writing, 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 and writing. In the work that we do, there are only two kinds of people. There's the people whose copy you have to redo completely, and there are the people who that is not true of, and they give you something, and it is not necessarily ready to run, but you've got a good text to work with. And in the long run, that latter group of people, the people who can produce text that you want to publish, are just dramatically more valuable than the people who can't. For sure. You've touched on this already, but do you think someone's major in college is a deciding factor to break into this? In other words, if they haven't studied law or national security or fill in the blank, is that a deal breaker for you? No, certainly not. I mean, and it would be very hypocritical if it were. I studied English literature and Japanese history in college. And, you know, I actually think that prepared me pretty well for writing about law in a weird kind of way. Not that that was what I studied, but I really learned how to analyze texts and I really learned how to write. And as I got more interested in legal issues and writing about them in particular, those were the, the skills I used. And so I sort of think of college as a great opportunity for people to do deep dives and learn something. It's not pre-professional training. And if somebody comes out of college with a math degree or a degree in physics and an interest in writing about law, that's great. I take that very seriously. And, and if somebody comes out of college having no since they were 12 that what they were really interested in was law. And so they studied a lot of law in college. That's great too. Wonderful. What about a graduate degree? Not necessarily for entry-level positions, but in your opinion, in order to succeed in this field? Most people who are the sort of best national security legal writers have been to law school and are practicing lawyers. That is not true of all of them. And I have always believed that there should be a place for self-interested, because I'm one of these people, but I didn't go to law school. I went to a legal newspaper as a 24-year-old, and I started writing about law for a living. And that's really all I've ever done since. And there are parts of a first-year law school curriculum that I don't think I could pass a final in property or torts or contracts today. But there's a lot of a law school curriculum or chunks of a law school curriculum that I can and do teach. And so I think that there is a place for people who just want to learn the areas of law really well that they're going to write about. And some of the best people who write about law are journalists. And so I, I don't think there's a single track, you know, educationally or professionally that leads you to the right answer. And by the way, some really, really fine people who write in this space come out of the world of operational national security and had to learn law because it constrained what they did. They were military people who had to operate under the laws of armed conflict, right? Or they're intelligence people who were constrained by law in the 
conduct of their intelligence operations. And these are people who often have very interesting and valuable things to say. I love that. I just think that's so exciting to know that you can come at this from so many different angles. That again leads us into the next question. What kind of life experiences do you think are the most useful for someone starting out in this field if they can maybe try to expose themselves to better prepare for it? It's a really interesting question. And I think the group of people who do this and do it well are so diverse that it's hard for me to identify kind of a single set of prototypical life experiences. But I do think that there is a difference between the group of people who have actually worked inside government, had access to classified material, and had to work with it and had to make some of these hard decisions constrained by law, working with the law as they did them, and those of us who've never had that experience. And one of the things that I think is really important on lawfare is that we integrate the voices of people who have very granular professional experience in national security operations, in national security policy, with people whose backgrounds are more academic, in my case, more journalistic, and who tend to be more looking at things from the outside. So we try to include a lot of practitioner voices in the conversation. What for you, Ben, is the best part of being editor-in-chief of Lawfare? And I recognize also that's just one of many hats that you're wearing. Yeah, but it's increasingly the main one. I mean, it's a very large percentage of what I spend my day doing. Look, this is a remarkable time for Lawfare. We built it as a small site designed to speak to a very small audience, which was the world of practicing national security lawyers. And over the last couple of years, it has broken through to a mass audience. And so there is a real pride in the fact that this work that we're doing, that a large number of people suddenly seem to understand that it's valuable and why it's valuable and that it's important. And along the way, I have been privileged to cultivate a group of voices that the world had never heard from before. And some of them are spooky people from inside spy agencies, right, who now write in public on lawfare. And some of them are very young, previously unpublished people I met when they were in college because they showed up and got involved in lawfare. And we've been able to kind of create nationally respected voices out of them. And some of them are people who are regarded inside certain agencies as really, really important, deeply respected voices, but whom the public had never heard of before. And we were able to turn them outward and get them to speak in a public way, whereas previously they were people that you would only hear from inside secure facilities in, in government. And so for me, the part of it that is most gratifying is actually not my own writing, though that's a lot of fun. It's the cultivation of a forum in which all of these things could happen. And these other voices have become voices that are part of the national conversation. It's really remarkable. It's just incredible to think of where you are now and how much you have really built a news platform, a huge news platform. <laughs> You're very kind. I mean, it's 
taken all of us by surprise. So the flip side, what is the part of your current job that sucks the most? I'm going to answer that more candidly than I probably should. I'm not the most natural fundraiser or business kind of entrepreneur. I'm very, very good at the editorial side of lawfare, I think. And I'm a little bit less good at the building an organization from scratch aspects of it. And I've come to have a lot of respect for people who build organizations successfully and have confidence in doing it because I'm always amazed at how hard it is, actually, and, and how much I don't trust my own instincts on it. Ben, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? Gosh, I'm going to tell you two stories. They're from two very different people. And one of them involved a good friend of mine when I was thinking of leaving the Washington Post. I went to her and I said, I don't really know what to do with myself now because, you know, I'm an editorial writer at the Washington Post. What does that really qualify you to do? And she looked at me completely contemptuously. (laughs) And she said, Ben, here's what you're going to do. You're going to call up And she named the head of a major think tank. And you're going to say to him, here is exactly what I want. And you're going to make a series of completely unreasonable demands. (laughs) And you're going to cite salary figures in which the decimal point is not in the place that it should be in your judgment. And you're going to offer nothing that you're going to do for him. You're simply going to tell him what he's going to do for you. And then she cocked her head to the side and smiled and said, and if you're bossy enough, He'll do exactly what you say. And I did that. And that person, in fact, said no. And then I did it again. And that was the beginning of my post-Washington Post career. And didn't play out exactly the way she described. (laughs) but, But I learned that telling people what you want from them is actually an extremely valuable way to interact professionally. And a lot of people don't do it and aren't good at doing it. And the worst they can do is say no. And maybe they will, and that's fine. But you shouldn't relieve them of the obligation of saying no to you by not asking. So that was one moment of real breakthrough professional advice for me that happened for me in like late in my career. I was probably 37, 38 at the time. The other one happened right when I went to the Post. And I had come to the Post from a small legal newspaper. I was 27 and I was going to write editorials for the Washington Post. It was quite heady. And I was worried as hell. And a reporter friend of mine took me out for a beer and said, okay, tell me what you're worried about. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm worried about. I've never done daily deadlines before because the paper I worked at was a weekly. And this was also one of those moments where somebody just responds contemptuously to you. I don't know what it says about me. Both of the stories are people being contemptuous. But he looked at me like it was the stupidest thing anybody had ever said. And he said, oh, Ben, here's what you have to know about writing. This isn't art. There's no muse. No part of your human worth is wrapped up in this. Your job is that you have this time to make all the phone calls over the course of the day that other people don't have time to make and to learn things. And your writing is a commodity. No one's going to remember it five years from now, five months from now, or even five days from now. At the end of the day, when you've made all those calls, I'll never forget the words he used. Your job is to sit down and vomit it up on a computer screen. And the next day, you do it again. 
And this was the most liberating thing that anybody had ever said to me about writing. Because writing, you always think of it, all of our images of it are of this labored, kind of tortured activity that, right, we have phrases like writer's block. We've pathologized it. And people find it extremely stressful. And ever since that conversation, I've never found it stressful. And I never get writer's block. I just remind myself, that there's no muse. It's no part of my soul is wrapped up in this. It's just my job to sit down and vomit it up. And I write very fluidly. Where the heck was this advice when I was still a journalist? I could have used that then. It is one of the most liberating things that anyone has ever said to me. Oh my goodness. Excellent. I feel like I'm going to write that on the walls of my house. (laughs) Ben. What movies or Netflix series or fill-in-the-blank fiction books accurately depict your profession? Oh, gosh. Well, I am told that The Americans is excellent, but I've never watched it. And the truth is that since I don't quite know what my profession is, I think that there's national security writing is actually not something that's depicted in any movie or book that I know. And so I think about like the great movies about journalism, All the President's Men, more recently, The Post, right? They actually don't depict analytic writing. They depict the reporting process, breaking news. But the process of going through an indictment and figuring out what it means, figuring out what analytic insights that would be useful to a reader at this moment in time. And so I'm struggling as I'm sitting here to think of a movie or anything that describes what it is we do. That's kind of cool, actually. (laughs) You're breaking new ground. That's exciting. We're trying. So final espresso shop. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? Maybe that you haven't already said, because frankly, there's a lot that's surprising in you. Something that continues to surprise me every day is that you cannot tell who is going to be good at it based on professional background. You can only tell who's going to be good at it by watching them try to do it. And I've seen people who are very senior national security lawyers who are very able as practitioners, and you say, hey, write some stuff for us. And they can't, not because they're not able writers, but because they don't really have that much to say about it. They're just really good at doing it. And then on the other hand, you get these legal academics sometimes who are noted legal academics, but absolutely cannot write in real time about ongoing events because they don't actually have a good sense in a daily format about what's important. They have a really good sense at a 70-page law review of how to structure an interesting argument. But if you say, read this document and tell me what's important about it, that's a really hard task for some of them. And then you get these kids who are in college and they show up as interns, and they write incredible stuff. And we've had a bunch of that who just have a lot to say. And some of them show up here as research assistants and have made just remarkable contributions. And so I'm continually surprised at how little 
people's professional background works as a predictor of whether they're going to be good at this and interesting in this format. I have to tell you, my ears perked up when you said it was the college students who are the ones who are sometimes putting out the best stuff. Sometimes, but I hope Java junkies are paying attention and are looking for potential positions on the Lawfare blog that might be an internship or an entry-level research associate or something, or following Ben Wittes around, carrying coffee cup. We have positions that open up now and then, and we're always interested in hearing from people. Ben Wittes, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee with me and the Time for Coffee community today. I really enjoyed our conversation. I too. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.